0: I want to invite up our special guest, uh, Pastor Troy Nesbit, is going to be preaching for us today. Um, you, some of you might have known him, he's been part of our members meeting before, but Troy was the founder for uh, the Cornerstone Church in Ames, Iowa, which was the church that started our network that we're a part of now, which he is currently operating as the president for the Salt Network. <laughs> so I'm going to pray for Troy quick, and then he will be preaching for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, Troy's willingness to be here to share your word with us, Lord. We pray that you speak through him to uh, give us your word and prepare our hearts to receive it, as always, Lord and Jesus. We pray this in your name, Amen. I've never actually been referred to as president before. That's, that's interesting. God is me in so many ways, and I'm happy to be here with anthem church this morning and i always give a little bit of an update but while i'm doing that you can turn to psalm 32 if you haven't found that already we're going to be looking at this psalm together it's one of my favorite psalms and i'm actually going to be challenging you to do something that probably you won't Isn't that the story of our walk with jesus he's always challenged us to do stuff that we know we should do and we often just don't now, we know that's a bad idea, so I'm just telling you right now, you're probably going to leave here with the word of God and a word from God, and probably you're not going to do what I ask you to do. And therefore, since I'm asking you to do something that God is asking you to do, probably it's a bad idea that you don't do that, but it's going to be really hard. I know it is for me, still. Still. So just to prepare you in advance for that. But let me tell you a little bit about Salt Network because you guys are a part of a family of churches that is strategically partnering together to plant churches at all of the major universities in North America. There are over 400 of those. And also we want to plant a church in what we call 100 global cities across this world. All of these places are where university students are, and we're trying to strategically reach university students because we believe that movements of God have always occurred in history on the backs of young men and women who boldly take their faith into the next generation. And in our country, the church is dying and declining faster than it ever has in my lifetime. And if God doesn't do something in this emerging generation, we're going to be a a post Christian country, just like so many countries that have gone before us. And across all of the universities in North America are littered with almost churches that now serve as monuments of a historic time in the past when emerging men and women would go to school literally to study the scriptures and to know God. Do you know major institutions like Harvard, Yale, Princeton were all started? to train pastors for gospel ministry and you know what you can't hear in Harvard, Yale, or Princeton, or Dartmouth or any of those schools now? Any truth about God or the scriptures. And so we partnered together as churches to get back into these university centers as Salt Network now Next year will be 20 churches and 21 salt companies, and this year you can pray. We're going to be starting a salt company at uh, Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia, and also doing some work at Georgia Tech University in Atlanta. We're going to be starting a work at University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we're going to be starting a work at the University of Ohio, the Ohio State University. So you can be praying for that, and if you... If you don't like any of those people, that's great. You can still root against them. God doesn't care. Be fans of of Mizzou. So let's read Psalm 32 together, and let's, let's see what God has for us from His Word. How joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered, How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. Isn't that a great couple of verses? Let me ask you a question this morning. The average Christian you know, think about them in your mind, and think about a Christian who is actually older and not younger. So someone who isn't new to the faith, but actually someone who's been in the faith for a while. And now I want you to pick a word that best describes them in your mind. A quality, a characteristic, something that you would say, when I think about this person, this is what I think about first. You got the word? Was it joyful? Because the psalmist says, how joyful is the person whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the person who the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. Joy is something that we all are to embody. Joy is something that we experience when we totally are experiencing the mercy and the grace of God. And joy is to be a characteristic of all of us who know, love, and follow Jesus. In fact, we should be so joyful that people want to come around us just to see where we got all that joy. And since it's an opportunity for everybody to have it, they should come around us so that we should disperse joy to them because the joy that is ours because of forgiveness Jesus has offered to everyone. Yet my experience and all too often all of our experience is that we can get around Christians and they can literally suck the living life out of all of us and especially our joy. David had become that way. Let me say that again. David, King David had become that way and we find it in this psalm look at verse 3 when I kept silent my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy on me my strength was drained as in the summer heat Something had happened with King David, and now no longer was he experiencing the joy. In fact, he was talking about the joy that he once experienced. He was talking about a new reality. This King David, this young man who was anointed by God, was talking about something that was quite different. My bones became brittle. I was groaning all day long. And night and day, my relationship with you, God, was draining pressure it often is helpful to get the context of these psalms we don't always know the stories so i'm going to give you a little bit of the context this is written by david king david and you know the story of david david was the young boy the young boy who was anointed by Samuel to be king of israel he wasn't the son of saul in fact He became friends with the son of Saul. And Saul didn't want him to be the next king because he wasn't his son. But David was the one who God had anointed, who Samuel had poured the oil of anointing on him. And David was the one who slayed a bear and slayed a lion with his sling. And David was the one most known in churches as what? The giant killer. You know, I love his... Fresh lines, you know, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, to come out against the mighty army of God. And he gathered a sling, and you know the song, if you grew up in church, you know. Only a boy named David, only a little (laughs) sling. Right. And around, and around, and around, and around, and around, and around, and around. You know the story of this song. And one little stone went into the air. <laughs> yeah, the giant came tumbling down. And then kids, they don't tell you this in Bible school. You know what he did? He actually took Goliath's sword, cut his head off, grabbed Goliath, held his head up, and marched around with the bloody head of this giant, who had defamed God. But David did it with joy. Because you see, joy is not connected to our circumstance. God, guess what we don't have? The joy that's provided by His Spirit. So, what happened to David? He was a powerful man, he could get whatever he wanted. He had conquered everything at that time. And so he decided to take a break. And he looked out and he saw a beautiful woman and he decided that. And so he took her and then he discovered that she was pregnant and she was also married. And that her husband was working in his army. And so he had Uriah, her husband, slaughtered, a righteous man, a man of character. And then he took Bathsheba to be his wife because he wanted to cover the sin that he had committed. And he was ashamed and embarrassed. And then that baby was born and that baby died. And that didn't expose David, no. He continued to cover that sin. And as time went on, there began to be more and more distance in his relationship with God. Now let me ask you a question. Is there any sin in your life you're covering? Is there anything that you've ever done that you know is an offense to God that you've not yet confessed? You see, the beautiful thing about salvation is the first time when we encounter God and we encounter God's forgiveness, and in order to even want it, we have to repent and believe. We have to realize that our sin is a defense to God, and only one sin would be enough to separate us completely from God. And when we repent and we believe, we feel this. And how many of you have heard this story? It was like, oh, weight was lifted off of me, and I felt for the first time forgiveness and the joy of forgiveness. And I wanted to tell everybody that I knew about forgiveness and this joy and salvation that I had tasted. Do you know it's statistically proven that the people who win most people to Jesus are not the people who've been the Christians longest, but actually are the people who've been the Christians the shortest? Have you experienced that? Who's the best evangelist? Is it the people who've been the Christians the longest or the people who've been the Christians the shortest? What's your experience? The new ones. You remember the woman at the well? When she was converted in John 4, what did she do? She ran back in her city and she said, everybody! Everybody! And she knew a lot of them. She was married to several of them in the past. She said, you got to come and see. This is the one. And literally because of her influence, the whole city was moved toward the gospel. Why? Because she experienced forgiveness for the first time. And the joy of the Lord was her strength, and the joy of the Lord was contagious. And many of us have gone through that, have we not? When I first encountered Jesus, you know, my dad was a pastor. My dad was here, right? He preached. He preached on forgiveness. And some of you guys still haven't done that yet. Probably should go ahead and forgive anybody who ever hurt you. Right, I mean, he told us to do that, and so he learned to do that as a pastor, and it was almost like he got saved again, right? And so my dad was a pastor, and I was a rebel, typical pastor's kid, and so when I met Jesus... My dad almost quit his job, and so Sunday morning we were part of a Baptist church, and so Sunday morning we had service, and Sunday night we had service, but most of us don't like to go to church twice on a Sunday, and so the Sunday night crowd was always less. But my dad said to the Sunday morning crowd, both services, he said, Hey, you guys almost lost your pastor this week. Why don't you come back tonight, and you'll find out why. That's literally what he said. So the Sunday night crowd was actually bigger than the Sunday morning crowd because everybody wanted to know how they almost lost their pastor. Well, how they almost lost their pastor is because pastor raised a rebellious son who actually had spent a night in prison because of his activity. And my dad literally made me stand in front of the whole church and confess my sins to the whole church. Now, do you guys think that was a good idea? No, it was horrible. How would how would you guys like to stand up in front of a whole church and confess your sins? I don't know, no. right? In fact, some of you think that's the way it's going to be when we see that Jesus said, "We'll give an account for every word ever spoken," right? What you've done in secret will be shouted from the mountaintops. And we think, when we die, we're going to have to see this horrible movie. And the horrible movie is going to be all of the sins that we ever committed and all of the sins that we ever covered in private. And after we watch that horrible movie and we're feeling as horrible as we've ever felt and we know for sure we could be condemned to hell, then Jesus is going to come in and rescue and say, I got that. Right? That's what you think. Or you think that's what the judgment is when the fire is going to hit your works? So that's Oh yeah, it's that movie. I got to watch that movie. I'm terrified of that movie. Well, this let me tell you, it's not like that at all. But David was feeling the weight of his sin. David this man who was so close to God, look what he was feeling, groaning, agony Draining. Do you have secret sin? See, sin that you don't confess is like a seed that gets buried. You know anything about agriculture? How do you get something to grow? By putting it in the light in your driveway? Or bringing it into dark and planting it in the dirt? And the strategy of Satan is to get Christians to sin. And when Christians sin because of the embarrassment and the shame of sin, because we know better, what do we do? We want to cover that sin. And we want to bury that sin. And Proverbs says this, He who covers his sin will never prosper, but whoever confesses and and renounces it will find mercy. And so David had committed these horrible sins and his relationship with God was burdensome because what was God trying to do? Trying to draw him out into confession. But he was the king. Now let me tell you the rest of the story. God actually raised up a young prophet. And can we just say young and dumb? And let me tell you why I think dumb. Because he just didn't think it through. He knew God was calling him to do something and so he just went and did it. Because God told him what David had done and I think it wasn't just him who knew. I think other peoples knew because here's the thing. You don't really cover your sin well. And David went into the king to confront him. Do you know the story? He told him a little parable because David liked stories. And he said, hey Dave, there was this guy who had whole bunch of sheep. All the sheep you could ever think of. But then there was another poor guy who just had one precious lamb. A lamb they loved and a lamb that he cherished and a lamb that he took care of. But this rich guy who had all the sheep in the world went and stole the poor man's sheep and took it for himself. And at that the king got enraged and he said, Never! Whoever did such a thing will be punished. And Nathan pointed a finger at him and said, you are the man. You should read the story, Second Samuel chapter 12. It's a great story. Now, here's why I say dumb. David had already killed lots of people. And he's the king. And he has all of the power. And all the authority. And so he could have called in that moment for Nathan to be beheaded. But what did he do? Well, let's continue in the psalm. I was feeling this pressure from God. I'm rewriting the psalm a little bit. And then Nathan came and he confronted me with my sin. And he gave me an opportunity to confess. To confess something he already knew. So look at verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not conceal my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt. Of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is faithful. Pray to you immediately. When the great flood waters come. They will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Deliverance from what? The weight of the sin. That he had buried and covered. That now that he confessed. Are you guys familiar with your Bibles? We're going to take communion in a little bit. And this is something that Christians do to acknowledge their relationship with God. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Paul writes about that to the Corinthians. But he said, some of you, you're taking communion in the wrong way. And in fact, your gatherings do more harm than they do good. So can you imagine this? There's actually Bible verses written to a church and said, hey, why don't you guys stop gathering because you're actually hurting the gospel more than you're helping the gospel. And here's how you're hurting the gospel. There's brokenness between some of you. You're sinning against each other and you're not forgiving each other. And whenever there's brokenness in the body of Christ, you don't bring the body of Christ together. And so when someone hurts you, what is your response? It's to forgive them. Guys, I know something about forgiveness. My dad told his story. My dad was, my grandfather was an abusive, bipolar, adulterating, alcoholic. And my dad was able to forgive him. Oh, and if I didn't learn forgiveness from my dad, here's the story of my wife. My wife, when she was 15, was brutally raped by a serial rapist and threatened with her life. She would be justified to be destroyed and bitter about that. But because she received the forgiveness of God, like my dad received the forgiveness of God, our only option, no matter who has hurt us, or no matter how they have hurt us, is to forgive anybody who's hurt us, because we have received the forgiveness of God. Write the Lord's Prayer. Help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. We receive God's forgiveness, therefore we can give it to anybody and to everybody. And what happens when we give forgiveness? We get free from them. But what happens when we sin? Oh, we're not free from us. And we're not free in relationship to them. So David had this sin that had consequences for many, but he confessed his sin, but then he began to deal with it. Are you familiar with what Jesus said? If you're coming to church and you have an offering, and there you remember that somebody has something against you, take a note about that in church and uh, deal with it next week. Is that what the verse says? It says, leave your gift. Go be reconciled with your brother and then come back. The New Testament says confess your sins to one another and then you will be healed. I think the Catholics get it right in this part a little bit. They have an opportunity for us to confess our sins with someone in leadership. And that leader is not only supposed to tell us that God forgives our sin no matter what our sin is, but that leader is also to tell us, okay, now you need to take your offense and you need to go make it right with your brother. And yes, it was wrong for me to confess my sins to the whole church, but it also would be more wrong for me not to confess my sins to those that I've hurt. Let me ask you this question, husbands. How many times have you confessed your sins to your wife? Let me ask you this question, dads. How many times have you confessed your sins to your kids? Let me ask you this question, wives. How many times have you confessed your sins to your husband? Let me ask you this question, kids. How many times have you confessed your sins to your parents, those sins that you've committed against them? Let me ask you this question, guys. Is there anybody that you know that you have sinned against that you have not yet gone to and said, I sinned against you. My sin is an offense to you and it's offense to God. Will you please forgive me from my sin? Is there anybody like that? I have seven kids. My most broken relationship is with my daughter, who's 34. Broken because of sin. Now she's living with us. Recently, she wrote me a note, and she said, Dad, here's what I, here's what I hated about you. You want to know what was in the note? She said, it wasn't that you sinned against me. Because if you're in relationship with anybody, right? Joseph, Christina, have you guys ever sinned against each other? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But who do you love more than anybody? <laughs> well, okay, God. Good answer, Joe. <laughs> we know he's about to hit you with lightning because it's probably Christina, right? So... Those things break. And it wasn't, she didn't say, Dad, it wasn't that you sinned against me. I didn't hate that about you, even though that hurt me a lot. And that broke our relationship a lot. But what I hated is every time you did, within 24 hours, you were asking my forgiveness. And so, guys, where was the brokenness in our relationship? Oh, it was my sin. But the only way it stayed broken would be for her to refuse forgiveness. And when she began to confess her sin back to me, guess what? We were able to have relationship again. This idea of confession, look at verse 8. He said, I will instruct you, I will show you the way that you should go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled by a bit or a bridle or else it will not come near you. What kind of relationship does God have with you? We're not talking about hard things here, are we? If you sin against somebody, you should ask their forgiveness. How many of you would agree that's a biblical principle? Oh. Why don't we do that then? If you steal something, you should pay it back. Why is it so hard for God to get us to do what we know we should do? Because, you know what? We always justify our sin. Let me ask you a question. Do you think David justified having a sexual relationship with Bathsheba? Oh, yes. Do you think David justified murdering Uriah? Oh, yes. But when he was standing in the presence of God, what was the weight that he felt? Like the heat of summer. Because he was unwilling to do what God was asking him to do. It was like a bridle in his mouth. You know why some of us don't stay close to Jesus? He bugs us. If I were to write the Bible, that's, that's the word I would put in about the Holy Spirit. He bugs me. It's not hard to start walking with Jesus. It's hard to stay walking with Jesus. Because if you want to stay walking with Jesus, you know what He will continue to reveal about you? He'll continue to reveal how much different He is than you. And it doesn't get easier as time goes on, I'm telling you. It actually gets harder. Because you realize every day that you wake up full of sin. And the closer you are to Jesus, the more full of sin that you realize that you are. Paul, when he began his writing, he called himself the least of the apostles. But there are only 12 of them, and one was bad. So he's 12th. He keeps his writing. What does he call himself? The least of the saints. And by that time, we were thousands of believers. But only thousands. And he said, oh, I'm the least of the saints. But his last book, you know what he described himself as? is his last book. And it's written in the Bible, so it has to be true. What did he declare himself to be? The worst of sinners. Now let me ask you a question. Is it because over his lifetime walking with Jesus he got further and further away? No. He actually got closer and he understood more how sinful and corrupt he was. Let's finish our psalm. Verse 10. David says, many are the pains that come to the wicked. But the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You righteous ones, shout for joy. All you upright in heart. Why? Look at verse 1 again. How joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and continues to be forgiven, whose sin is covered and continues to be covered. How joyful is the person who the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit, no secrets. So, what is it I'm going to ask you to do based on Psalm 32? If you don't know Jesus yet, I'm telling you, the greatest joy you'll ever experience is confessing your sin to God, repenting and believing. You will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed or what those sins are. You can be forgiven. Number one. But the majority of this message is for those of you who have been saved. You've trusted Christ. You've been born again. And the challenge of this message are, are you still confessing sin? Or have you gone back to your old ways of covering it? Are the broken relationships that you have broken because of you and your sinfulness and your unwillingness to confess that sin? Your unwillingness to submit to authority, your unwillingness to submit to God? Are there secrets that you're keeping that if you think if someone knew this, I would never be forgiven and I would never be back in relationship? Well, let's, let me tell you, that's a lie. What does First John say? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sins. And then what's the next verse? If we confess our sins... It's not talking about getting saved. It's talking about how we continue to have relationship in the light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession is to be the habit of Christianity. And it is the process of maintaining joy in the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, when I experience weight in my relationship with you It's no longer because of the judgment That is going to come because of my sin Because you've set me free from that When I experience the weight in my relationship with you It's because of my unwillingness To repent and confess And to walk in your ways Lord, thank you for the example of David who, when confronted by Nathan, repented. And I thank you that we have Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 that declare that beautiful repentance in David. So would you help us, Lord, to apply these principles in our life, that we would be confessors, that we would be repenters, that we would be restorers, So that we would experience joy. Amen.